Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, June 4th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. I'm here on my own today with just a short news update before Ashley speaks with Chris Kugel, the music director of the Liz Swatos Project. The Liz Swatos Project album was recently released by Ghostlight Records, and we will have a link for you to purchase or stream the album in the show notes. The conversation with Ashley and Chris is fantastic, so I hope you enjoy that at the end of this episode. But before we get to that interview, I do have a few bits of news, starting with continued ramifications from nationwide protests and discussions over racism in America. First, a new Twitter account popped up on Wednesday, at Open Your Lobby. The account's bio says, quote, A resource calling on theaters to repurpose their spaces in support of protesters nationwide fighting racism and injustice. Their banner image is a little obscure, but you can read it in part. It says, quote, Do not equate the property violence of protesters to the massive state-sanctioned violence of policing in America. There is no comparison. Things can be replaced. People cannot. In response, a number of New York theaters have pledged to open their lobbies for protesters and to provide drinks, snacks, bathrooms, safety, first aid, and in some cases more. The New York Theater Workshop has actually been doing this long before this call went out, almost from the beginning of the protests, vowing to not let police in the building when protesters are there. Others joining NYTW and providing a bit of sanctuary for protesters in Manhattan are the Public Theater, Playwrights Horizons, and IRT Theater. In Brooklyn, protesters can stop by the Alliance of Resident Theaters space, as well as the Irondale Center. If you are protesting, please be safe. Save these addresses if you're going to be in those areas and follow all of the best practices out there from seasoned protesters. The longer these go on, the more dangerous they get and the more I start to worry about folks. So please take care of yourselves. In other news, following an article from Onstage Blog, the writers of Hairspray have officially closed a loophole that had previously allowed schools and theater companies, mostly of the community variety, to not cast all of the roles racially appropriately. Mark Shaman, who co-wrote the score, said in a statement, quote, While it always seemed like common sense to us that people would choose to put on Hairspray with the knowledge that they could perform the show as written, we were naive. But... To state what I would hope to be the obvious, we never encouraged an all-white production. But this situation has always troubled us. It has certainly gnawed at me for years. And so we are grateful to say that Music Theater International will be requiring groups to cast the show so as to accurately reflect the characters as we wrote them. A show that specifically addresses one aspect of the black experience during the civil rights battles of the early 1960s deserves to have its characters accurately and appropriately portrayed on stage. There have been some horror stories over the years of schools wanting to do all-white versions of the show, and instead of making the conflict about racism, the prejudice in question was about height or something. Uh, Just absolutely absurd. Kind of like the school that did Rent, but instead of it being about AIDS, it was about diabetes. Just ridiculous. You know, normally, though, I, I am on board with letting schools especially have a little bit of leeway when it comes to casting. But when a show is specifically about race like Hairspray is, this is obviously the right move and and honestly should have been done from the get-go. Finally, in this section, Freestyle Love Supreme announced late on Wednesday evening that they would be postponing the release of their documentary that was slated to drop on Hulu this Friday. A new release date will be announced shortly, apparently, and in their statement, they ended it with saying, We are Freestyle Love Supreme. We are for love. We are for justice. We are with you. Black Lives Matter. Peace, love, and power. FLS. All right, I do have two real quick recommendations for you. 
first up, thanks to a Facebook post from the one and only Liza Minnelli, it is now official that Liza with the Z, directed and choreographed by Bob Fosse, is available to stream on Amazon Prime. I, I know that there are a lot of people who listen to the show that are probably going to stream that right away if they have not done so uh, already. And then the last thing that I've been jamming to for a couple days here, and I haven't wanted to throw in a lot of recommendations until uh, until now, though. But back on March 2nd, uh, a big chunk of the cast of Hades Town went down to Washington, D.C. and recorded a Tiny Desk concert with NPR. Um, that has been delayed for obvious reasons, and it is now available to watch. It is just so cool. Um, a big portion of the cast is there. I, Patrick Page is not there, and Kimberly Maribel is sitting in for Amber Gray as Persephone, but the rest of the cast is there. And Anais Mitchell is there, who at the time was super duper pregnant. Um, but if you've ever seen a Tiny Desk concert, I know we've talked about them before here. This one is awesome. I had goosebumps throughout the whole thing uh, watching it, so highly, highly recommend that one. All right, I'm going to turn it over to our good friend Ashley Steves now to talk to Chris Kukul from the Liz Swatos Project. We will have a link again in the show notes where you can purchase that album or stream it from Ghostlight Records. So without further ado, here's Ashley and Chris. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about the Liz Suedos project available now from Ghostlight Records, which is just incredible. As I told you before we started, it's on a rotation of like three albums for me at the moment on repeat. If you haven't had the chance to listen yet, again, you can visit Ghostlight Records website and it is also streaming on Spotify. I will be sure to include the links to that in the show notes. Uh, I want to talk about the creation of the project in detail, of course, but first I want to start at the best possible place, which is the very beginning, and would okay. love to hear how you got started working with the late great Liz Suedos, your impressions of her, and your longtime collaboration. Sure. Um, well, Liz was actually how I started. I'm a, a music director and orchestrator, yeah. um, and she is how I started my career. I was actually a, I was an acting major at NYU um, at Tisch, and uh, I could play the piano. So when I graduated from NYU, I was hired by Playwrights Horizons Theater School to, to accompany classes. Um, and Liz was doing a fourth-year company show called The Violet Project that they hired me to music direct. So, um, so that was my – I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I music directed this show. We worked on it for the, the full year. That was in 2000. Um, and I just loved it. I had the best time. Liz, the way she worked was every process was collaborative. So she she mm -hmm. collaborated with the actors and with music directors and, and, and everybody creates the piece. Um, so I uh, was arranging That's and orchestrating and, and doing all of those things right away. Um, and that was so that was in 2000. And then we worked together until she passed away in 2016. So it was a long, long collaboration. Yeah, what were some of the projects during that 16-year period, just for people who are unfamiliar? Sure. So we, she was sort of the, like a, almost a resident composer at the Flea Theater in Tribeca. So we did three shows there, a show called um, Jabu that was about Alfred Jari, and Taylor mm -hmm. Mack, who was on the album, was in that show, which is how right, we, yeah. we met Taylor. Um, and then a show called Casper Hauser. And then her fi the last piece that she wrote was a show called The Nomad. Um, 
that there's a song on the album from the Nomad that Joe Lampert sings. Mm, um, yeah, one of my favorite tracks. Oh, it's, it's stunning. Joe is just stunning. So, um, and that was also, and Casper Hauser and the Nomad were co-written with Aaron Courtney, um, who's a fantastic mm, playwright and lyricist. Yeah. Um, so we did that, you know, we did a lot of concerts, we did a lot of developmental workshops, we, for three years I actually worked, um, she sent me to the National Theater of Greece because she was writing, um, for for some ancient Greek tragedies. Uh, Of course, yeah, as you do. Yeah, as you do. Um, and, you know, her, one of her first high profile, um, shows was uh, at La Mama that her and Andre Serban did something called the Greek Trilogy that was like a, a downtown sensation. And she was mm-hmm. very young and it really put her on the map. Um, and so the first show in Greece was Liz and Andre. And then, um, and then Liz started collaborating with some other Greek directors. And so that was a spectacular That's experience in time. And I have to imagine as you're getting started with your career that working with someone who is as versatile and eclectic as Liz Suedos has got to be like the be all end all kind of thing for you. It is. It's that. It's also terrifying. It's also, um, (laughs) it, it also, it's like sink or swim. You know, there's no, she, she, uh, she didn't baby or coddle anybody and she just expected you to bring your all and you just did. And it, you all, anybody who studied with Liz or worked with Liz had the same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just teaches you that you have to do it no matter what, you just have to do it and get it done. And it brings out the the best, most creative parts of people. Yeah. I, you know, you mentioning how she was fully collaborative, that has to be a very large part of it, that she expects you to bring your all to a project because you're going to be a large part of the final project. Like it's your project and Liz's project. That's right. That's right. I mean, even, you know, a show like from her early days, like Runaways, Mm. all of those kids were collaborating on that piece with her and creating that piece. Yeah. Um, and she used that model through a lot of the work in her life, even in shows that had like an, a narrative thrust, like something like um, Casper Hauser, which mm-hmm. is a, a show about, uh, uh, it's a true story about a feral child in Germany in the 1850s. Well, that's another podcast, but um, <laughs> the, uh, but even in a show like that, the actor's contributions were crucial. You know, she always depended on, on, on everybody else and thrived on it. Mm, yeah. When and where did the idea of creating a legacy recording project come from other than just recognizing a need that it needs to be cataloged and out into the world? Well, there were a couple things. The first thing was that in the early, mid-2000s, I think, um, Liz got a grant to make archival recordings of her, her body of work because a lot, you know, a lot of most of the shows that she wrote never were never recorded. So, right. um, you know, she had this amazing career that, you know, at the, the public theater, she was basically Joseph Papp's resident composer. I mean, she yeah. wrote so many shows at the public that were these amazing, fantastic giant shows that were at a time when things weren't as weren't recorded as often. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So there are, there's no, the, you know, the Runaways obviously moved uptown. There was her Alice in Wonderland that Meryl Streep starred in that mm-hmm. was recorded for PBS. Um, so those two things exist, but there's a whole other catalog of shows that are that would have been lost. 
um, so she, so we made these archival recordings, um, and then I, through that, I, I then became familiar with everything that she had ever written, basically, because none of it had been written down. So there were like old cassette tapes, there were like scribbled charts. So part of that project was was <laughs> transcribing all of this, this music. It was a, a very long, uh-huh. long. Yeah, <laughs> God, I can't um, imagine. And then, uh, then after she passed away, we did a American Songbook concert at Lincoln Center. Right, um, right. That was it was a glorious event. It was like a, a crazy lineup of people and with a, a lot of the songs on the album. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, and we just were like this is, you know, we at first we were going to just make a recording of the event and then it kind of turned into um uh, you know, the the scope of it opened up a little bit and we found some more material and uh yeah, so it was really the the Lincoln Center concert that um that that made that brought it to life i think mm-hmm. was there a progression you were looking to tell with the music choices did you have certain criteria like what aided your selection and putting together this track list well um there were it was it's sort of a two-sided thing i think that the choice of of performer and the choice of song happened simultaneously so mm-hmm. certain people that we wanted to sing on it um informed the song choices, certain song choices informed the performers that we looked for. And um, what was important was that it, it showed the breadth of her writing and that um, the, the full expanse so that every song was kind of radically different, you know? Um, yeah. Cause, Cause that was very that much. Is, so, yeah. Yes. And that's the, like, that's the DNA of Liz's writing is that she wrote in every style you can imagine. And you listen to that album and you, it's kind of hard to believe that one voice wrote all of these things. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So, and so, and that was, you know, that was one of the goals. The other thing is we, we picked songs that were um, very melodic and accessible and, mm. and um, current. And uh, you know, I think there's a Liz has carries a reputation with her that people who aren't, there are t- people fall into two camps generally. People know Liz through Runaways, and so they know mm-hmm. that part of Liz Suedos, or they know an idea of like a a weird downtown seventies avant garde kind of music. <laughs> yes, that yes, exactly. Absolutely, people Liz don't did. necessarily know her name, but they that's know right. the feeling of her work. That's right. That's right. Um, but we. But part of our goal was to say that she had so much more that the palette was so wide and broad and um, to show the full range of, of her catalog. What was, you mentioned that in some instances you were looking at the song choice and then selecting the performer, you were looking at the performer and selecting the song. Like what, what went into that? Like if you were to pick, uh, I'm assuming my guess is that uh, you went with Taylor Mac and then Judy picked the red queen. Is, 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 actually, is, is that Judy accurate? didn't. I did. Oh, okay, even better. <laughs> but, but it's actually because Taylor was. I believe when Taylor was in high school, it, he was in a production, like a high school production of Liz's Alice in Wonderland, mm. um, and so that has kind of always stuck with me. So I associate Taylor with that show for some reason, and then. 
also in the show Jabu um, that we did there, it was like a crazy um, theater piece. And there was a character, there was a, there was a song called the queen of Poland mm-hmm. that, um, that Ma Ubu sang. And I always thought that would be amazing if Taylor sang that song and what would happen. And it was, <laughs> it's very similar to the red queen song. Right. Um, so that was kind of a, a match made in heaven. Uh, it's very, <laughs> it's very. It, it works um, really well. As soon as I got to that track, I was like, "Oh, this, this fits. This is good." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, when um, I first listened to it, I didn't look at the track listing and I didn't look to see the performers. I just kind of let myself oh. be surprised by who and what I was going to hear, I, for better or for worse, because I got to that finale with Michael Friedman performing things I didn't know I loved live and uh, just yeah. instantly started crying. But yeah. going through it, and uh, Michael even said at some point that Liz Suedos is a part of his DNA. You have Dave Malloy, you have Taylor Mack, Shana Taub, Michael R. Jackson, Grace McLean. Like Liz's work and style are so evident in all of these writers and performers' work and styles. Absolutely agree, and I'm so glad you said that because that was our aim. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the the story that we are trying to tell with the people that we chose in this album is that there is a legacy that Liz has created that seems to be bubbling uptown right at this very moment, and all of yes. these people have roots in Liz's downtown theater world, either directly or through one degree of separation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and people who have start like obviously who have started downtown and yes. then are starting to move uptown as we see with Taylor and Michael, especially. That's, but That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And a lot of, you know, um, Michael Friedman was Liz's music director before me. That's how I met Michael. Yeah. Um, Shana was her student. Grace McLean was her student. Everyone has like, she she touched on so many people, um, and everyone is just having a, a moment. It's really, it's really a special time. Mm. You also have all these individual styles on this. Like each song is obviously a Liz Suedos song, but each performance is very obviously Amber Gray or Joe Lamper or Sophia mm-hmm. Ann Caruso. Talk to me about the arrangement or an orchestration process there? Like how did you set out to balance Liz's style and sound with the individual performers sounds here? Well, Liz was definitely a student of world music. She mm-hmm. loved, um, she, she, she loved authentic cult music from different cultures. Um, and she yeah. didn't try to, impose something on it. She liked doing it sort of directly sure. organically as, sure. it, as it is. Um, and so the storytelling comes from the words, but also the choice of the style of music. Um, so that, I mean, that informed all of the arrangements more than anything else. I, I think um, mm. there's a time and a place for all of these songs that is, um, that is apparent or in something like Sophia and Caruso's song, which is just a, wretching, painful, raw, honest song, there's almost nothing there to that arrangement because it's just the most bare you can be, you know? It's kind of, I mean, both in your case and Liz's case, it's knowing what to leave alone, I think. She was was especially so good at that. As you said, it was like taking music from other cultures and not, changing them but just presenting them as is that's right that's right 
And then, you know, something like um, something like like Taylor song in the Red Queen, that is a, a giant orchestration because that's a giant personality. So it, it, yes. it sounds like a thousand people playing because it, that is the idea of that song is that you, it is the most extreme, outrageous event, you know? Yeah. It's it's pretty much much impossible at this point to look at art without the context of this moment we're all in between the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter protests and every ongoing ism that exists in our society. I had a long <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had a long conversation uh the other day with backstage senior staff writer Casey Mink talking about theater returning and how what will be necessary when we come back will be just urgent work. The beauty of not only the Liz Suedos project, but broadly Liz's work as a whole, is that it's just ever prescient because there's stories about survival yeah. and she was putting things on stage that people weren't putting on stage before. That's right. That's right. I mean, the bedrock of her work from the from minute one is social justice. Yeah. It always has been. You can't separate it from the work. Um, I mean, the, the, the final song on the album is, uh, a change shall come, which is just a, a, a giant protest anthem that is like written of the moment, but the moment has existed since Liz first wrote it, you know, it's still the moment and it's still necessary, but you're exactly right. It is just, um, it's what she always did. Yeah. That brings me into the idea of legacy. As I said, I've been covering that for a while. I've spent the better half of last year covering the Michael Friedman project and the Jonathan Larson project, both which were done by Ghostlight as well as they're so committed mm-hmm. to legacy preservation. And just talking with Steve Kosen and Jen Tepper. In fact, when I talked to Jen Tepper, which listening to the Liz Suedos project reminded me of it, when I talked to Jen about the Jonathan Larson project, we actually had a conversation about a conversation she had with Michael Friedman when they were part of the Off Center series Artist Board. And they were talking about how many of the shows that they were dealing with uh, Off Center were people carrying on creators legacies including sarah ashman for howard ashman julie larson for uh-huh. jonathan larsman and Roz lichter for los suedos so now yep. several years later that's continuing through these recording projects absolutely and you know the thing about theater is that it is the, the moment it happens live in front of you it's done and it's gone yeah so if there a show lives and dies on a cast album and if a cast album doesn't exist the show disappears. So um, the fact that Liz really is known just for Runaways and that was the thing that was put on an album, um, you know, our goal with this and with every legacy project is to keep people alive and to keep the work alive. Um, And, you know, you don't want somebody to disappear. This you know, it's, um, it's a a fight to always keep, keep somebody in, in the, in the cultural mind. Yeah, as we talked about, or I mean, already a little bit. Unfortunately, unless you're like en- enmeshed in the industry, a lot of people don't know Liz Suedo's name and couldn't necessarily yeah. point to her work, but know her style. But again, you look at Michael R. Jackson and Shana Taub and all these other quote unquote up and coming writers. Like it's right there. You can hear her influence, and that's such a yeah. huge part of legacy and preservation. That, that's right. That's right. How what what carries on? Right. You know, and what. Um, what what people have learned from from the from the parents yeah. is what is what carries through, um, and remembering the parents is the most important thing. 
you know. As being a long-time collaborator with Liz, what do you see as her legacy? What do you want people to remember her for? And what do you think she want, wanted to be remembered for? Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. One. It's a tough question. <laughs> I get the reaction every time I talk about legacy, but I always love the answers. Um, I... <laughs> Well, I mean, I think there are a couple points. One is that I don't want her to be forgotten. Um, I don't, yeah. I, and I want her to be remembered more than just uh, Runaways, which was an amazing achievement. Like that was an sure. unbelievable yeah. piece of Incredibly Broadway history. Influential, yeah, yeah. That was, you know, was not like anything that has ever happened before or since. But um, it is a lifetime of work that um, is on par with with the greats and, and should exist on that level. Um, and there aren't a lot of um, people who deserve that sort of legacy. Um, and I think Liz mm-hmm. does. So we, we hope that this carries on a little bit. We hope that maybe it creates an interest in doing in theaters, doing some of her shows um, also to keep oh, her alive. I hope so. I hope so. Again, when we come yeah. back from all of this, we need like, work that is speaking to the current moment and as i already said like her work does no matter what decade we're in yeah it's i i uh remember one of the before i knew liz she did a show at the manhattan theater club that was um i don't i don't actually think it went into production i think it was just at like the workshop phase workshop phase um but it was a musical of prince and the pauper and it was one of the things that in the archival project we had we transcribed um and even that show which was the it was like a sort of a children's show i guess but it was just (laughs) about social justice and it was about all the poor people and it was like uh, (laughs) maybe the reason they didn't keep going with it was because it was so um not (laughs) mobilize the children (laughs) she just couldn't help herself she couldn't help herself i mean that's great Uh, gotta gotta mobilize everybody starting young i guess i know uh the Liz Suedos project just came out, but I mean, I've got to ask, will there be more? And if not in the form of a project part two, will it take some sort of life like the Jonathan Larson project? Where when we have live performance again, we get to see it on a stage of some kind. Well, we did actually, our plan was that we were, we had a release concert scheduled at Joe's pub um, for June. Oh, I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's a shame. Lives. But hopefully that will happen whenever things happen again. Um, I, I would love it if there was, if this was a volume one, I, I mean, we could do volumes three, four, two, three, and four without blinking an eye. There's so much material. I was uh, going to say, it sounds like you had to go through and transcribe and transpose a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's so much that, you know, we, we already have like, dream lists of what would the next couple of albums would be if we're able to do it. So hopefully, you know, if it's a success and, um, and we're able to do it again, it would be amazing. Fingers crossed. As I said at the top of the show, the Liz Suedos project is available now via Ghost Light Records and on Spotify. Chris, thank you again so much for both talking with me today and also for thank your you. work and for helping to preserve Liz's work. Thank you. Thank you very much.
All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. And of course, you can find Ashley on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. This episode dropped first in our Patreon because it included an interview, and then it was in our regular feed uh, on Thursday morning. I will be having my interview with Nick Walker later today on Thursday, and then that will, of course, drop in our Patreon feed before it hits the regular feed. So if you want to be a part of our Patreon family, get those interviews early, have the opportunities to sit in on this week on Broadway's head over to patreon.com slash Broadway radio. We would love to have you along. Have a great Thursday, everybody. And we'll be back in some form or fashion to talk to you on Friday. <laughs>